The fragrance of a poured out life. John 12, we're going to look at, we're going to look at the first three verses here. And it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served him while Lazarus was among those reclining with him at the table. And then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I'm just going to stop right there. Yeah, you get objection there. So, Lord, we come in the name of Jesus today. And we just ask, Father, for your Holy Spirit again. We pray, Lord, for open hearts. We pray for ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. That, God, that we would truly hear your word. Meaning that it's not just something that comes in through our physical ears and into our minds. But, Lord, that our spirits would hear. And in doing so, Lord, that as our spirits hear, it will motivate us to adjustments, changes. And Lord, we know that it's so hard to change. We know it's so hard to make those adjustments. But Lord, with your, as we yield to your spirit, we pray that those changes will come. And so, Lord, may we take something from this today. That it will not just be hidden within our hearts, but Lord, that it'll be, it'll flow out into our everyday lives. It'll be something that'll affect us now, it'll be something that'll affect us tomorrow, it'll be something that'll impact as we live our lives going forward and as a church. In Jesus' name we ask these mercies, amen, amen, amen. The fragrance of a poured out life. So in, in the text that we, we just read, we notice that... Uh, You've got, uh, it's, it's about spring in Palestine. It's about six uh, days before the Passover. Jesus is in the town of Bethany where Lazarus was from. And of course, I mean, this is a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? That you had Lazarus who was in the grave for four days. This is a pretty miraculous thing. Now, I don't know if you know about this or not, but... The, being in the grave four days actually made it a little more, in some people's minds, this, this, this made this impossible to do. Because it was commonly understood or commonly believed that, that the spirit of the person who had departed, who had deceased, would be close to the body for three days. But on the fourth day, the spirit would then be, would depart and be gone. And so when Jesus waits for four days, I'm, I'm kind of guessing that he was looking to bolster their faith just a little bit. I'm thinking that maybe, and, and here's a, this is an entirely a, a different message altogether, but I just want to share, some of us need fourth day faith. Would you agree with that? We need fourth day faith at times. Meaning, just when you think it all is lost, when you think it's impossible, I want you to know it's impossible with man, but it's not impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. And I don't know about you this morning, I need to be reminded of that. How many would say amen? I need to, yeah, we need fourth day faith. That's not my message. But this is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that they invite Jesus over to, and I'm, I'm only, I mean, I would like the barbecue myself. If you invited me over, barbecue, barbecue ribs would be nice. But they're inviting Jesus over. Jesus is the guest of their house because they want to honor Jesus for this incredible miracle that he did. How many would agree that's pretty incredible to see the dead raised? And so they invite Jesus over. They want to express perhaps their gratitude for what he had done. In fact, this was, a, this was a miracle that would have impacted the family. How many would 
agree this morning that if someone in your family had died and was raised to life, this would be something the entire family. I'm, I'm guessing that this wasn't just a, uh, something that would have went through the family, but it would have affected the entire community. That Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. In this story this morning, I want to look at three people, three characters. And if it's okay by you, I'm just going to take a little bit of liberties here, a little bit of literary license. Three characters. And I want to, I, I want to apply that these three different type, these three different characters should some, be somewhat representative of three different types of believers this morning. And so I want to introduce you this morning, number one, Martha, and I call her the distracted doer. The distracted doer. Anybody can relate to being a distracted doer. A distracted doer. We know Martha. We know it best in, uh, when, you, when you see her in Luke 10, in fact. Of course, when you have a, a, a guest over, I don't know about you, but when you have a guest over to your house, has anybody ever found themselves busy with making preparations before they come? And, and you just are praying that they never open the closet door. Right? Because you're busy and you're, you're cleaning and you're dusting and you're vacuuming. Because when your guest comes, you want them to see you at your best. Amen? That's a message in itself, too. We want it, we want, when Jesus comes, we want him to see our best. And so you take the time to even pull out. I've heard people who had guests coming over and they even pulled the refrigerator out and had their husband vacuum behind it. I've heard of stories where, where well, we have guests coming over, dear. You, you need to, to, to uh, scrape and paint the windowsill on the garage. But honey, they're coming after dark. <laughs> And he, what is he out there? Well, he's doing what the good husband does, and he's out scraping and painting on the, on the garage that they're not even going to look at. I'm kind of guessing that Martha is doing things like this. I'm guessing that she probably has her oven, and she's hit, you know, 425 to get the preheat, and the timer is counting down. I'm, I'm guessing that she's busy in the kitchen, and I don't know, uh, whatever, whatever you like. I, I, mean, I like good turkey dinner, too. Who likes a good turkey dinner? I like a good turkey dinner with all the fixings. I don't know what Martha was cooking that day. I don't know what Martha was preparing that day. I'm just using my imagination. But I'm sure if Jesus did a miracle in your life, and he was coming over to your house, that you'd probably have the oven going, and you'd be stuffing things, and you'd be peeling things, and you'd be getting the pots all ready, and you'd be getting everything prepared. You'd be busy in the kitchen. Wouldn't you agree? You'd be busy. You know, you'd have the potatoes and the carrots and the squash and the turnip and all the wonderful garden vegetables and you'd be getting them all prepared. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if somebody had me over, I would really hope that they would make an apple pie. Maybe a, a blueberry cheesecake carol. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there just because it's just wonderful cheesecake when you have two layers of cream cheese and it's not good for your hips but it's oh it's good it's good i'm just throwing that out there i know here we are getting close to lunch right i mean talking about like this stuff but remember jesus is the guest of honor we're making preparations for him this is a big deal this isn't a bad thing but in luke 10 we find mary and martha at martha's house and Jesus is there. And Luke says, here's what Luke says about this. He says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. John just says that Martha served. But Luke says that she's distracted. And I'm thinking, Luke, don't you understand that she just wants to be a good host? Could anybody fault her for that? 
that she's taken time to make preparations. She's done all the cleaning. She's prepared the vegetables. She's getting the meat going and, and, and all those wonderful things. But, in, but Luke is saying that she's distracted. I'm thinking Martha would be distracted if the television was on or if, or if she was busy checking her Facebook or Instagram account. That's where I would think that she would be distracted. But Luke says she's distracted by all the preparations. And somebody else might say, well, pastor, yeah, I mean, are we not saved to serve? Would you agree that we're saved to, be, to serve others? How many understand this morning that Jesus is the greatest servant of all? Isaiah prophesied of the suffering servant that would come, representing Israel. And in his servanthood, he would, he would serve the Father's purposes, and he would go to the cross for us, amen, that we've singing about this morning, that we can receive the grace and the love and the mercy of God, that we can be saved and be counted among the redeemed. It's the ultimate servant. I mean, after all, we're saved to serve, right? We're bound in the work of the Lord, the Bible tells us. Jesus even said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's wrong with that? And yet Luke says that she was distracted. But I want to point out that there's another truth here. There's another truth, and I've heard this so many times, that there are times when we can become so busy doing Now, we just talked about volunteering. And that's good. That's good. But I'm going to ask you a straight question this morning. Have you found that in your life, that when you look at your daily planner, that from sunrise to sunset, it just seems like you don't have enough time in the day to get it all done? Life is busy. Life is busy. It's busy. It's go, go, go. We have jobs. We have family. We have all kinds of things happening. And then there's things that happen that we don't anticipate, but we have to deal with. Would you agree with that? Isn't that life? There's times when it's like, oh my goodness, I'm getting the flu. I just don't have time to be sick. Amen? And then there's times we get so tired that it's easy to just to hit, you know, just to, just to, just to sit in the, in the, in the couch and, and do what men do the best, get in their nothing box, and do absolutely nothing. And think about absolutely nothing. Anybody relate to that this morning? That you can actually get in your nothing box. Guys have a, you have a, anybody else have a nothing box? I have a nothing box. My wife says, what you thinking about? Nothing. And her mind is going everywhere because she's thinking about all kinds of stuff to talk about. And I'm just sitting there. What's going through your mind? Nothing. Just can't, it just can't fathom it. And we can even get distracted by that. We can be so distracted going here, there, everywhere, doing this, doing that. Do you know that we can end up we can end up at the end of the day finding that it's just a matter of a sliver of time that we might spend with the Lord. A sliver of time. It's possible. It's possible. I've seen it. I've experienced it. That You can be so enthusiastic, folks. When you come to Jesus for the first time and you experience him, I want you to know there's people that they get on fire for the Lord. You'll have no better witnesses in the church than a new convert, a new believer who actually discovers God, who discovers his love, who discovers his grace, who discovers his mercy, who discovers where they're going to go when they pass on from this life. You can be fired up. You'll get nobody better. But how easy it is for so many of us believers that after time sets in, that this stuff becomes old news. What God has done for us, the enthusiasm begins to wane. Our excite, excitement begins to get old and moldy. It's stale. And loving it, passionate, 
service for Christ just becomes, you feel like you're just going and punching the clock again. I remember one guy back east, and he, he saw a church this way. He said, well, I put my hour in for this week. As we were getting to drive to the next town to get Sundays on a Sunday, I put my hour in the week, and all I could picture was him just taking his punch card, and click, click at 11 o'clock, and click, click at 12. I've done my thing for the week. Now let's get out of here and get some ice cream. Sometimes the demands, the hardship, the criticism, the challenges associated with Jesus, it can just draw the life right out of us. Because we can end up being a distracted doer. But then there's the other extreme. And I call Lazarus the lazy boy loafer. It's another character in this, in this story. Lazarus is famous for being dead. Being dead, buried in a tomb, wrapped in graves clothes, being dead for four days. And when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out of there, that's what he's been famous for. The Bible says that the dead man came out. He came out wrapped up like a mummy, probably, you know, with 100 pounds of cloths wrapped around his head and his body. And yet when he was unwrapped, there was not one sign of decay. That's pretty amazing, wouldn't you say? My Bible tells me, according to Ephesians 2, 1, that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, in which we used to live when we followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us Christ even when we were in transgressions, and it is by that you have been saved. Therefore, we all this morning should be, if we are believers in Jesus and have received that grace and mercy, we should be able to relate to Lazarus as someone who has been made alive in Christ. Amen? Because we were all dead spiritually. Every single one of us here at one time were bound up in graves clothes we couldn't move we didn't have freedom in, in, in life wrapped up in this graves clothes some of us dead for a whole lot more than four days but how many are glad this morning thank God that the Holy Spirit whether it was through a testimony of a friend or whether it was at church or an event or, you were, or, or whatever the case might be. I've heard people who went into the bathroom and, they, and someone laid down a, the four spiritual laws track and they're at some university in, in, in California in the 70s and they pick up a track and they read it and that's how they come to Jesus. But whatever way you came to Christ, you were once dead but now you're alive. Now you're alive. You come out of the grave. We can relate to Lazarus because it's the Spirit of God who quickens us. He takes those paddles, right? Boom! And the power of God brings us to life. Brings us out of the tomb. Places His Holy Spirit in us. Raises us up with Christ. Seats us in heavenly places with Him. Isn't that amazing? That's good news. Our salvation. We talk about healing and it's wonderful and deliverance is wonderful. But salvation, folks, don't, don't forget salvation. Your salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We get wound up about the other things, but salvation is a miracle. And in John 12, it says this. It says that Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. He was reclining. He was taking it easy. When I look up the word Recline. Now, reclining was how they would eat at the table. They were reclined. But when I woke up the word recline, Webster says this. It says, to cause or permit to incline backwards. That's interesting. So to get this right, I looked up the word incline. Incline means uh, feel willing or favorably disposed toward. That's interesting. So when I put that together, here's what I got. Recline is to permit or feel willing or favorably disposed toward backwards. 
Now get this again. Permit to feel willing or favorably disposed toward backwards. That's an interesting way to put it. You put that together. Yeah, favorably, favorably disposed toward backwards. How many know that there are believers this morning who, after being raised from, spiritually from the dead, have permitted themselves willingly to go backward in their walk with Christ? Did you know that? We'll find them everywhere. We'll find them in churches. We might even find a whole, a whole church full of them. They're content to come out of the tomb content to recline in the pew or the chair, content to let everyone else be a distracted doer. They're not moved when the Spirit moves. There's no enthusiasm. There's no passion. There's no compassion for the lost. There's no desire to worship. There's no hunger for the Word. There's no thirsting for the Spirit. They're just content to recline. Favorably disposed toward backward. So Lazarus, the lazy boy loafer, it's the recline button. And then the third one this morning, third character I want to introduce you to is Mary, the sensitive seeker. Martha, distracted doer, Lazarus, the lazy boy, a loafer, and then Mary, the sensitive seeker. Now, I'm not sure just what exactly did it. Maybe it was after all, after the meal that had ate, but Mary brings out this this pint of perfume. Some co commentators, uh, you know, they, they say that this was a very, very expensive perfume. Now, it was worth about 300 days' wages. 300 days' wages. How many know that's, that's pretty expensive? I mean... Taking in some vacation time and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we're looking at pretty much almost a year. Now, I don't know what your calculations might be, but if the average household Canadian income is at a certain level, you, you take probably a good, a good 80% anyway of that or more. And that's quite a bit of money. Anybody got that sitting in their back pocket? That you could just go to Walmart and, and go up and buy some perfume that would cost you 300 days of your wages? No, I think not. And so he's, here's Mary with this perfume. And here's what John says. John says that she pours it on Jesus' feet. Perfume worth 300 days wages. She pours it on Jesus' feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. And it says, John says, and the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The fragrance fills the air. Can I suggest this morning that the only way that that fragrance could get and fill that entire house was first of all, somebody had to break the container. The container had to be broken. I don't know what the cost of the container is, but I'm sure the container was not as valuable as its contents. The first thing that needed to happen was, was it needed to be broken. You see, when we first come to Jesus, how many know we need to come to Him broken? We can't come to Jesus in our self-righteousness. The rich young ruler, oh, I've done all these things since I was a kid. I, I've, been, I've been to Sunday school Jesus. I followed all these laws. After he asks him, what should I do, or what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many understand this morning, repentance is an indication of brokenness. It means that we've realized our folly. It means that we cannot live life by our own rules, our own ways, our own desires. It means that God is right and I'm wrong. And boy, how hard is it for people to admit that I'm wrong?
How many know the only way reconciliation can happen is when someone admits, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I blew it. I messed it up. And then there's an opportunity for forgiveness. Repentance means that we have felt the sting of guilt. Guilt, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Read John the Baptist's sermon, and you'll find that John was really coming pretty hard, wasn't he? But he was preparing them for something. He was preparing them for the Lord to come. And he was calling them to repentance, and he was comparing what they were doing and how they were living with their confession. And what John was saying is it does not add up because you're not bearing fruit in keeping with your repentance. You're saying one thing and you're living a different way. And I'm sure that that day that those, those, the, the, those Jews were listening to John, they felt the sting of guilt. I want you to know guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt is not a bad thing. I know we've sort of gotten away from that a little bit. But guilt is not a bad thing because you know what guilt does? Guilt brings conviction. Do you know that conviction is a work of the Spirit? He's to convict the world of sin and righteousness. How many know the only way that we can come to Jesus is first if we felt the conviction of our sin? Amen? So it's not a bad thing. Guilt is not a bad thing. It brings conviction over our sins. It brings a conviction over our self-centeredness, our our desire to self-preserve, and and even our own self-deception. It's not a bad thing to feel guilt and conviction. It's brokenness. Look at what David said in Psalm 51. He cries out, and you know the story. I mean, this is this is a this is probably if they put this on the silver screen, you know that the story with David and Bathsheba would have to be restricted. You couldn't you this would be mature audiences stuff, yet we tell our kids to read the Bible every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Think about that for a moment. If we put that story, David's adultery. The king is at home. You know the story. The king is at home. He should be off to war. And David is, uh uh-oh, in the tub. And she does not have a bathing suit on. And David inquires of her. And the next thing you know, you're not good. This is is stuff that TV shows and movies are made of. And the next thing you know to cover up his tracks, David puts the husband... Uriah in the, in the front lines of battle to try to take care of it. But how many know God's always looking? God sees it all. Amen? You try to cover your sin, but listen, somebody going to shout it from the rooftops. This is scripture, folks. This is the true stuff. These things happen. And so what happens is, you know the prophet comes, and David, you're the man. Boom. Guilt. Conviction. David realizes, a man after God's own heart realizes the folly of his sin. And here's what he says in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and reign fast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me in your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a a contrite spirit. These, O God, you will not despise. A broken spirit, O God, you will not despise. It's not bad to be broken, church. It's not bad to be broken. Nehemiah was a broken man. Did you know that? We preached through that book. Nehemiah was a broken man when he heard of the, of the calamity of Jerusalem, when he heard that the gates were, were burnt with fire. The wall was broken down. He became a broken man. And it drove him to his knees to weep and fast and mourn, crying out 
to God for forgiveness, for favor, for restoration, for revival. You know the story of the prodigal son. You know that finally he had to get to the end of his rope before he realized what he needed to do. Amen? He'd thrown away everything. His money came to an end. His party friends abandoned him, and he was eating the cuisine of the pigs and smelt like the pig pen. And the Bible says in verse 17 in Luke 15 that he came to his senses. Folks, can I just say, that I, I back these things up to say that it's not bad to be broken. It's not bad to be broken. And when we become a believer in Jesus, I want you to know that it's not, we, our address is not going to be 123 Easy Street all the time. Did you know that? Card-carrying members of the human race. Look at the book of Acts. I wish it had ended at Acts 2, 47. It would have been a, 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 we could have sewed that up and been a happily ever after story. Amen? Boom. Spirit comes. Boom. Peter preaches a, a great sermon. 3,000 people get saved and added to the church. And they're having great fellowship. And they're teaching. And they're breaking bread. And they're praying together. And it's all hunky-dory. And everybody's sharing their things. And there's solidarity within the community. And if it had ended at verse 47, it would have been happily ever after. The end. It didn't happen that way. How many understand that there was opposition from the outside, opposition from the inside? It was a battle the whole way. Because folks, how many know we got an enemy who wants to stop us? But brokenness is not bad. Tribulation we're going to have. Jesus promised us that. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, he tells his followers. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. And through him we too can be overcomers. Amen? There's going to be testing. There's going to be, it's not bad to be broken. See, brokenness can do one of two things. Brokenness, brokenness can cause us to lose our faith. Did you know that? Brokenness can cause us to lose our faith. Bitterness can set in. It can cause us to walk away from God. But the reason why we are to persevere in these things is because that sometimes God allows us to go through stuff not to impair us, but to improve us. And God allows things for us to go through things in life. Why? Not to make us bitter, to make us better. Amen? To make us better. Brokenness is not a bad thing. We should not despise brokenness. Because brokenness is what brings us to God. It makes us desperate for Him. And desperation will lead us to pour out our heart in a passionate pursuit of God. I remember a time in my life when I was desperate. I remember a time when I was working 65, 75 hours a week at Clearwater Fine Foods in Lockport, Nova Scotia. It wasn't enough to work at the crab plant. I got a job working at the scallop plant, and as I had mentioned one time before, yes, the, the oil tank was full, the Freezer was full of ice cream, and that was all great. But I want you to know that on the inside, while I had the, paid the bills and I had the full refrigerator, my heart was empty. My spirit was drying up. And I was desperate. See, I was like Martha, in a way. I was doing, 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 and... And I felt proud about all the doing because I'm doing what dad should do. I'm doing what the husband should do. I'm bringing home the bacon, right? I'm stocking the pan. And there's some, even some ice cream in the freezer. But 65, 75 hours a week, week in, week out, all I had time was to eat, sleep, and work. Come home sometimes at 3 a.m. and hop in the tub. Hit the sack, be up at 6 in the morning, go to work, have a half an hour lunch, or side till sometimes 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and you get up eating Tylenol for breakfast. Your 40 hours of work was in noontime on Wednesdays. Money was good, but spiritually it was like you're dying on the inside. 
I was so desperate for God, I made an altar in a washroom. I went downstairs, and I sat in, in a men's stall. And as I sat inside, you need to do something. I'm just dying. How many has ever, you ever felt that in your life? Brokenness will lead you to desperation. Desperation. Mary was desperate. Mary was desperate to praise. Mary was desperate to worship. Mary was desperate to express her gratitude, her heart to Jesus for what he had done. To show her love, her devotion, her surrender. She knew Jesus' time was short. She knew there was a plot to kill him. She knew that, that, that the most expensive thing in her house would be representative. Folks, listen, it displayed, this displayed a heart of love and worship. And she takes that perfume, and she takes that box, and she breaks it, that, that canister, whatever it was, and, and expensive perfume is poured out. This is all about love and devotion. This is all about worship. It's all about her heart before him. And John says the house was filled with fragrant perfume. Everybody knew that she did it. Everybody could smell the fragrance. Don't miss this point. This is where I'm coming to. It, listen, there is a, there is, when you have people who love Jesus and they want to serve him and they want, to, they want to love him and they want to praise him, there is an aroma, folks, that comes off of you. There is a spirit that people sense about you. I've heard tell of people who have walked up and had very little interaction, and, and they were just introduced, and they just knew, they just knew down deep, like, that person is a follower of Jesus. I can just sense it all over them. There's an aroma that comes off. And, I'm, and I, that aroma can either be good, that aroma can be bad. When, when Christiane comes out of the shower and she's, she's got something that smells pretty good, it makes me want to be a little closer. Anybody ever discover stuff like that? That's not bad. But, when, but then there's the opposite. When I remember being five years old, when I, when I went to pick up my dad at the fish plant, and I caught my first smell of fish meal. Anybody ever smell fish meal? Let's just say that... Uh, the pavement met the contents of my stomach that day. And it was so repulsive. But folks, there is an aroma that comes off of each and every one of us here this morning. Did you know that? There is a fragrance. We all have a fragrance about us. When we have been broken to the point that we have poured out our lives, when we pour out our, our heart before the throne of God, when we have sacrificially poured out our passion, our praise, our worship, when we have surrendered our all, when we can rest from our busyness of service, when we can stop our idling recline, when we can uh, break the seal, pour out the, our lives, that, and it humbly demonstrates our, our dependency, our hunger, our thirst to know Him and to be with Him, to pursue Him. I want you to know that when we do that, our bitterness turns to forgiveness, our hate turns to love, our duty is replaced with passion, our indifference to the lost becomes compassion for souls, our pride turns into humility, and our wills are then conformed to His will. And I want you to know that our lives then your house, your workplace, your church becomes filled with the fragrance of a heart that desires to be close to Christ. Did you know that this morning? Did you know that? Why is that important as we call the worship team back? Why is that important today? I'll tell you why it's important today. It's because we have a society that has looked at the church and they said, guess what, we've tried it and we don't like it anymore. Do you know why we've tried it and we don't like it? It's because we've seen the other effects. We've seen the conflicts. We've seen the disputes. We've, we've seen the selfishness. We've seen all these different things. And, and I remember going to, a, uh, listening to a person who talked about a, a, a business meeting at a church that turned basically into a boxing match. The world, there's a society right now that's looking, they're, they're looking for something. They're looking for something. There's people who are saying, I'm spiritual, but I don't want anything to do with church. Doesn't mean there's not a hunger. Doesn't mean there's not a desire. It just means that what they have caught whiff of, 
the, the, the aroma that they have caught isn't a good one. But there's a generation that's looking for truth, a generation that's looking for hope, a generation that needs help. And folks, when we profess to be born again, when we profess to know Jesus, when we claim to have the indwelling Spirit of God, that there should be a distinct aroma, the aroma of a passion for Christ, His presence, to worship Him. And I believe that that is what's going to satisfy their hunger. It's going to satisfy their soul. I want you to know this morning we have responsibility. I believe the church is to be the instrument of the kingdom of God. I believe the church has a calling upon her. And it's not just an individual call, it's a collective call. It's a communal call. It's, it's people are looking they're looking on the inside. They're asking themselves, where is this Jesus that they say they believe in? And I don't know about you this morning, but I want our church, I want it to be spiritually dynamic. I want us to be people who are passionately pursuing the presence and the power of, of the Holy Spirit. I, I desire to see this place to be a place of healing and forgiveness and grace and mercy, a place where people can genuinely experience who Jesus is. Where do we fit in this story this morning? Where do we fit in this story? Do we identify with Martha, the distracted doer, do we identify with Lazarus, the lazy loafer? Martha, the sensitive seeker? Maybe there's a little bit of everything in most of us. If we could stand this morning together. we could, um, there's a song I know you guys did this morning. I can't even remember the name of it. But I think it might be the, is it the last one? The Holy Spirit song. Holy Spirit song. Yeah, let's sing that one there. Let's put that one on the screen. What's that called again? Spirit of the Living, Fall Fresh. Fall Fresh. How many would say this morning that I, I need my soul awakened? I need my soul awakened. Maybe I've been a little bit like Martha and I've been distracted and I've been busy. And I just need my soul awakened. I just need, I'm just, I'm just, I just have a desperation for more of the Lord. How many would say that's you this morning? See some hands, great. Maybe some of you have been a little bit like Lazarus and you've been just really busy reclining. Disposition to, to kind of go backward. You find yourself kind of drifting in your, in your Christian walk. You're not really growing. You don't sense that you're growing in your Christian walk. Anybody identify with that this morning? How many, would, how many want to be like Mary in this story? Yeah. Let's see the hands. You want to be like Mary. Let's lift it up. You want to be like Mary. You want to pour it out this morning. You want to pour out your life. I want you to know this morning, Jesus poured it out all for us. Did you know that? He held nothing back. He went to the cross and he poured it out for us. He gave us his all. And I want you to know this morning that I, I, I believe that worship is a whole life thing. It's not just the, 
raising of the hands, or the songs that we sing. It's, it's, it's what we do with our lives. And the question really comes down to this, is are we living for me or are we living for him? Because if we live for him, we also put others ahead of ourselves. Amen? And we pour our lives out. But there's a balance, isn't it? Because we can be so busy doing the work of the Lord that we don't know the Lord of the work. Did you catch that? You can be so busy doing the work of the Lord that you don't really know the Lord of the work. What makes us more effective is if we know the Lord of the work and then we do the Lord's work. And there's a balance. Amen? Hallelujah. Can we just worship? Can we just make this a prayer this morning? And then we have a special presentation following. So we don't want you to miss that. Awaken my soul. Could you lead us in that? Amen. Awaken my soul. Yes, Jesus. You come away. to see to thirst yes Lord yes Lord awaken first love come away yes Jesus to do as you did on me yes, Jesus. 
come wake me from my sleep Glow through the caverns of my soul Pour in me to overflow Father, we just, uh, we just ask today that as your spirit fills us, as your spirit is poured out upon us afresh, that, Father, that it would overflow. It would overflow. It would overflow in praise. It would overflow in worship. It would overflow in adoration. It would overflow, Lord, not only toward you, but, Lord, toward those who, who, are, in, who are seeking God, who are looking for answers to this life. We pray this morning that, that our lives and, and this church would be a... a a fragrant offering before you and but Lord that that God that it would be something that would draw it would draw others to you Lord they would they would they would sense they would sense the sweetness of your people they would sense the sweetness of your presence they would sense the sweetness of your love they would they would smell that all over us and all over this house Hallelujah, as we, we, as we pour ourselves out for you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. May we be who you call us to be. May we be who you desire us to be, the disciples that you, you want us to become, to become like you. Become like you, Lord, who poured out everything for us in this world. May we, may we want to give our all to you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. And uh, we're going to move this morning to a, 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 a little presentation today. And... and um, Before we flip the calendar over to July, we, we want to take a couple moments here to just to recognize a couple of special folks here this morning uh, who have graduated from uh, their programs. And so uh, one of them has got a guitar strapped around him. So he's going to have to put that down. I know he likes the, the guitar there, but he's going to have to put that down. So Caleb and Jasmine, we got a little something for you this morning. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Because I think you've walked cross a platform before, right, to receive something? Yeah? So, just tell us about uh, your, your program you graduated from, how long it was, how many hours it took, and, and, and all that stuff. I think she graduated with really high honors, too. Uh, yeah, so it took two years for me to get my physiotherapy assisting diploma, um, and I'm working in two hills now, so I've gotten blessed that way. Yeah, so everything's just going good now. Great, 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 great. Amen. Come on over here. Yeah, come on over here. So come, come right here. Come right here. Is that okay? You want to just step, step right there? Yeah. Okay, that's your spot. There's an X-ray on the... No, just joking. There's no X on the carpet. And so, so Caleb, uh, Eston College, tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing now. Uh, I did the Gideon's Call, which is the music program at Eston College over the past year graduated with my certificate of musical and discipleship and then I'll be back there next year to do the Martyr's Life program. Amen. Amen. Caleb just wants Caleb just wants another bag next year. So uh, on behalf of the church family, Caleb, here is uh, something for you, something a little token of uh, to uh, just to honor you. And Jasmine, the same this morning. 
little, a little something for you. And uh, so young people, young people, they, they, are the, they are our future. You are our future uh, leaders. Did you know that? So I don't want to put too much pressure on you. But, uh, yeah, it's very, very important that we recognize and we pray for our young people. Amen? Because they carry the weight of the world now. Right? Uh, when we're old and, and you put us in nursing homes, you'll be running the show, right? So we... So, um, so we just want to pray with you. And I just want to share something that um, my pastor had shared with me at my graduation. And, and uh, I just, you know, he gave me a little plaque and had me my picture in it. And so I don't know what we did with that. We put it in the bathroom or something. Um, so, so on the back of that plaque, he just, in his own handwriting, which I thought was so special, he just wrote, uh, only one life to live. It'll soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I want you to remember that. One life to live, it'll soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. So we can have a lot of ambitions and dreams. And it's wonderful that we have those things in our hearts. But it's the, it's, I, I really truly believe that uh, what's important is that we, that we get the desires of he gives us the desires of our He gives us the desires. This comes from Him. He gives us the desires of our hearts. And that we passionately pursue His will for our lives. Because that's where, that's where we'll have uh, treasures that's laid up that never rusts or corrupts. Or no thieves can steal in and break. So can we pray for these young folks this morning? that uh, the Lord's hand would be continually resting upon them and that he'll lead and guide their, and direct their steps. Amen. We can plan our way, but the Lord directs our steps, right? Amen. So can we just put a hand over? We're just going to pray over them this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these young lives. We just thank you, Jesus, for your love and your guidance, the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that, they're, that as we've spoken this morning, that God, that they'll have a heart to passionately pursue you, to know you, to, to learn your will and your ways, to hear your voice. Lord, that you would direct them every step on their journey with you. Because, Lord, we know there's a lot of distractions, a lot of twists and turns in the road, a lot of detours that we might make of our own doing. But, Lord, you know best. And so my prayer today, God, is that your hand would continually guide them and that they would hear you, they would sense, and they would know the signs and see the arrows and the way that you pointed them to. And Lord, may everything that they do, may everything that they set their hand to doing, Lord, that it would be just bathed in prayer and that, that God will also, they will be asking the question of how, this, how I, can I bring glory to your name through doing these things. And so, Lord, we just ask your blessing upon them Shower your favor upon them. Direct their every step, Lord. And do great things through them. Do great things for your glory. We bless them today. Express our love and our gratitude for, their, for them being with us and their lives and what you have in store. And we're just looking forward to what you're going to do through them. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And again, congratulations on your graduation. Amen. Well, Lord, we just pray your uh, blessing as we go. And that the same that's been spoken over them will apply to us as well, Lord. That there's only one life to live, soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. May we keep that in view as we go about our afternoon, our Monday through Saturday, Lord. Whatever, we, whatever we're spending our time with, Lord that God that will recognize that what's most important is we, is we have a life that's poured out for you. And so, Lord, may we be able to do that in the power of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 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 God bless you. Be sure to connect with somebody on the way out. Um, and uh, Lord bless you, and uh, we'll see you next week for sure. Except for, I think, Mondeley and... and uh, Tabby so. Yeah, could you come up here too? Could, could, we, could we just pray over them too? You know, do you know that these two are going to England?
So can we just pray for them as well? Can we do that too? Because they're going to England. And I, I even suggested like getting packed in a suitcase or something with them. But they probably have fun, more fun trying to stuff me in than actually taking me. Because it would be kind of hard to drag, um, you know, 185. I wish. Well, Lord, we just pause and we thank you for Tabby So and Mondely. We uh, thank you for their family. And we thank you for their young lives. And we just ask your blessing upon them, your favor on them. We pray your protection upon them. And we pray, Lord, that you will uh, be with them and give them a fantastic time. Keep them safe on the plane going to England, crossing the Atlantic, and uh, we just ask, Lord, that they'll have a wonderful time connecting with family there, and uh, that, God, that you'll bring them back safe and sound for, um, for school and connecting with their family again here, and, and, of course, with our church family here. So be with them, Lord. Bless them. Keep watch over them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have fun. <coughs> we'll see you.